0: Welcome to ReachMD, this medical industry feature titled, Fireside Chats, Top Abstracts Related to Stills Disease, is sponsored by Novartis Medical Affairs.
1: Just a brief introduction, I'm Bella Mehta, I'm a rheumatologist and assistant professor in medicine at Will Cornell uh, and Hospital for Special Surgery, um, and Olga, do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Of course. Hello, everyone. I'm Olga Petrina. I'm a rheumatologist and clinical assistant professor at NYU Langol Medical Center, Grossman School of Medicine.
1: And uh, let's get right into this. Um, I'm going to talk about abstract 1633. This is being presented on Monday, uh, but I think it's a very important um, abstract that we need to discuss. Uh, Again, there's not a it's very difficult to get randomized controlled trials in Stills disease because it's a rare disease. Um, so, uh, this is titled A Randomized Double Blind a Placebo Control Study of Anakinra in Pediatric and Adult Patients with Stills Disease. So, this is a multi center study. Uh, it's, um, the acronym they gave it is ANA Stills, so Anakinra and Stills Disease. Uh, and this is a 12 week study, uh, and in, they're enrolling patients with uh, active and newly diagnosed Hills disease. And again, um, they include adult as well as pediatric patients. Um, you know, in the abstract, they say that they um, their goal was to enroll many more patients, but because of the slow recruitment, uh, they stopped at 12. Um, and uh, they had 12 patients uh, randomized uh, into placebo and uh, the treatment group, six in placebo, six in treatment group, and of the six who were in the treatment group, um, four were assigned to four a kg dose, and two were assigned to two make a kg dose. And again, there's a lot of pediatric patients in this, so um, around uh, eight of them were kids, uh, and four were adults. Um, and they, they did use standard criteria to recruit the patients, so uh, ILR criteria for under-16 and the, the standard uh, adult on-sistern's disease, Yamaguchi criteria greater than 16 years. Um, and their primary objective was to see if uh, these patients reached uh, ACR-30 uh, with the absence of fever at week. Again, pretty uh, short duration. This uh, likely because anakinra is uh, pretty fast acting and you'd know if it's working uh, quickly. Um, Go to the next slide. So here's one of the some of the main results from the study. Um, so on the left side here, you can see um, these are patients uh, who achieved an ACS 30, 50, 70, or 90 response. So in the treatment group, um, they had six patients with anakinra, Uh, And the placebo group had only five patients because one patient dropped out uh, or was excluded because the patient actually had lymphoma and not stills disease. Um, So as you can see, um, pretty much 100% of the treatment group uh, reached ACR 30, 50, and 70. uh, And five out of the six reached ACR 90. Uh, This is at week two. Uh, Importantly, no one in the placebo group uh, reached any any of these endpoints that they were looking at um, they also mentioned in the abstract that eventually a lot of people in the placebo arm also dropped out uh, because of various reasons progression of the disease um, you know some sort of uh, side effect to the placebo arm um, so uh, again it's difficult to do placebo-controlled studies in these sort of uh, patients so, Uh, They still have uh, a good number. Um, If you go on the right-hand side, uh, there are six patients uh, that are in the treatment group. And here you can see uh, the blue dots showing um, the ACR-90 responses. This is a pretty good and robust response in Stills disease. So as you can see, of the six patients, four of them start seeing uh, an ACR-90 response in the first week. Um, five in the second week and somehow you know most of them continue in week 12 um, the patient number one year uh, has did not ever reach um acr 90 uh, but did reach acr 70 response and again um you know in still disease, those patients who are responding to il one blockhead you see them pretty early and that's what these uh, studies the study is sort of uh, aiming to uh, show um Again, a small study, but definitely important um, for Stills' disease. Uh, We could go to the next one. Olga, do you want to take this over?
0: Of course, yes. So I think it's one of the very interesting studies presented this year, and it speaks about the outcomes of an evidence-based guideline implementations in the hospital system when it came to treatment of patients with suspected MAS and HLH. And I think why, why this uh, abstract is important to begin with, because we all know that MAS or HLH is one of the most severe manifestations or complications of AOSD, and it has a mortality rate up to 20%. And one of the contributing factors to why mortality happens is the delay in diagnosis and treatment. So if we can address this issue, obviously the outcomes would be much better. And that's what the abstract speaks about. Uh, if you can move on to the next slide, it will give us an idea about this study in general. So what they did at the Boston Children's Hospital is they identified the patients with a high suspicion for HLH, such as patients with hematological rheumatology and oncology note, fever more than 38 Celsius, ferritin levels more than 500, and the patients who were uh, I, like, were, were seen either prior or post the implementation of the evidence-based based guideline. So first of all, what the guideline was? The guideline was that if there is a concern for HLH or MAS, that would trigger a rheumatology consult. And then once rheumatology consult done, it will stratify patients on what needs to be done next. So if the patient had neurosymptoms, that would trigger neural neuro consult. If patient had sus- high suspicion for infection, that would trigger ID workup. Uh, high suspicion for malignancy, that triggers malignancy workup. Once the diagnosis is confirmed, the guideline recommends the treatment regimen based on the severity of the disease, which, which looks like a very thought through, approach to patients with these conditions. And then after this guideline was implemented, they followed patients before and after with the about um, uh, criteria. Uh, and before the implementation was from January 18 to April 19, and post-implementation was from April 16 to um, or rather, prior pre-implementation, March 16 to April 18, and post-implementation, January 18 to April 19. So, in, in this study, what they found that while, after they started following the guideline on diagnosis of, and treatment of patients with MAS, the mean time to diagnosis shortened more than by half. So, the average time to diagnosis went from eight and a half days to 2.8 days uh, post-implementation. The hospital stay shortened. Uh, by about five days or four days from 34 to 29.9 days. And the time from diagnosis to treatment shortened by half. So they went from uh, average of week uh, before patient could receive treatment to average of three days uh, until patient received appropriate therapy. What it resulted in is that the first-line treatment responder rate increased. So for pre-implementation, the response rate was 30%, went up to 40%. Uh, which is res- uh, reflected in the better outcomes and higher survival rate, so we see that um, prior to um, uh, implementation of the guidelines, the survival rate was close to seventy five percent it jumped up to ninety three point three percent survival survival rate after they implemented the guidelines, which shows how how useful it is in early diagnosing and uh, treating patients with this condition to Uh, to to improve their outcomes. Also, when it comes to treatments that were used, while uh, the treatments were most commonly used, the IVIG and echinocyanide steroids, we see that there is a a tremendous increase in use of IVIG uh, in patients uh, who were treated post-implementation of the guidelines. So from 35%, they went up to 53% use of IVIG. And it was most important because uh, use of IVIG was recommended in patients with suspected underlying infection, so that probably contributed to the to the improved uh, uh, outcomes. Um, so I think that that makes the study really important, and uh, we need more of such guideline implementation and hospital uh, uh, systems uh, for the patients who are at risk. Uh, for MAS in stills disease or any other
1: auto-inflammatory condition for that matter. True. I mean, especially given the high mortality that um, these sort of patients come in, like if you can diagnose early, uh, start treating early, there's, there's direct mortality benefit.
0: Absolutely. I think we can go to the
1: next one. So I can talk about this one. Yep. Um, So, again, this is an abstract presented today. Um, And this is talking about similarly in MAS and secondary HLH, uh, the lab parameters and biomarkers in these two conditions. Um, If you can go to the next slide. So, this is a uh, study done from Italy, and they have a lot of patients, around 82 patients. and they've serially collected uh, serum and biomarkers on these patients. Um, and, of course, the traditional laboratory parameters that we usually measure in clinical care. Uh, so they had 38 patients who had secondary HLH, um, 26 patients who had MAS in uh, GIA patients, also 18 patients who did not have MAS but uh, GIA And um, they measured biomarkers at T0, which is the time point, which is when they have active disease, T1, which is 7 to 10 days from the start of therapy, and then T2, which is clinically inactive disease, usually one to three months from the disease onset. Uh, And they wanted to check uh, how lab measures, which are traditionally used, changed and how uh, interferon-related biomarkers uh, have changed over time. Um, so, in the left side of this slide, you can see that the typical uh, biomarkers uh, in the lab that we use, uh, the platelet count is, is decreased, uh, is in, in MAS as well as secondary HLH, uh, whereas the ferritin, uh, which which is high in SGIA, uh, but obviously increased uh, dramatically in MAS and HLH. Um, Some of the lab parameters that are part of the guidelines to diagnose these things, Uh, AST, uh, which is elevated. Um, Something important to add on to the traditional lab markers is triglycerides and fibrinogen. Um, They give you a very good insight into uh, if these patients are going into MAS or HLH. Uh, Again, these are life-threatening conditions, so you want to measure them early and in advance. Um, so as you can see, both in MAS and HLH, um, triglycerides are elevated, uh, and so is fibrinogen decreasing. Um, so, so these are the lab, lab parameters that we do know of. Um, some of the uh, very interesting interferon-related biomarkers that, that actually you're we're hearing a lot in SGI and Stills disease recently is Neoctirin. Um And what we see here is uh, all of the um, interferon-related biomarkers they measured here, um, CXCL9, CXCL10, neopterine, and um, IL-18 is increased in um, MAS and HLH compared to SGIA. Um, Also that uh, CCX, actually we can go to the next slide. They, They show these things much better. Um, so here, uh, the top part of this uh, of this is a traditional ROC showing uh, the biomarkers in MAS, and the bottom half shows it in um, secondary HLH. Uh, and what you can see is that CXCL9, Neopterin, and IL-18 uh, are elevated in these patients. Whereas in uh, HLH, uh, CXCL9 and Neopterin are not as much uh, correlated with the IL-18 levels. Um, if you can go to the next one. Oh, okay, so so I guess you could go back, but uh, or one more back. So what we know is that, um, what they saw is that neopterine levels uh, do not correlate with flares. So those the, the, the ROC curves were on T0, uh, but neopterine levels are sustaining elevated. Um, CXCL9 um, does correlate with flares. So you can monitor it for flares. Um, again, these are not typically available uh, for non-research purposes. IL-18, yes, we can send it and it is used in MAS patients. Um, even, but it does take a, a little while to come back. So uh, for clinicians, I think we still depend on the traditional lab measures and, and sometimes the IL-18 levels. Uh, hopefully neopterin is much more widely available in the coming uh, few years and uh, there is a lot of clinical utility in using it.
0: All right, and this is another great abstract on the use of the SCORE system to, again, early diagnose MAS in patients with Sjia, which leads to, to the improved outcomes. Uh, So this particular study uh, was designed to assess the uh, laboratory markers that um, have highest probability scores for development of MAS. What they did, they selected, we can go to the next slide probably, they selected 69 patients with systemic JAA that did not have MES at the time of enrollment, and they followed them over time where 41 Uh, did not develop uh, MAS, and 28 of the patients had at least one MAS episode. They followed them for the 10 years with a two-year follow-up, and uh, what they found, and actually it reflects, with, with the studies and publications were done, published so far on the condition that seven laboratory parameters like ferritin levels, LDH, AST, triglyceride levels, usually elevating patients who are um, experiencing symptoms suggestive of impending MAS and then what they they use the regression coefficient based uh, scoring system to assign the weight to each of the uh, laboratory parameter uh, put it in a scoring system and so, how well the system predicts the, the MAS in patients that are at risk. So the you can see from the table on the right that the scoring system had very high sensitivity and specificity in terms of predicting MAS. And amongst the parameters used, ferritin levels and LDH had the highest value. With ferritin with score three point five and LDH having score of two point five. Uh, as per this study, any patient with a score of five or more had very high chance of developing um, MAS. So, for example, twenty seven out of twenty eight patients who developed uh, MAS had score of more than five. And then patients who did not, uh, from the 41 patients who did not develop uh, MAS, only eight patients had this score of five. So it gives us a very good idea of what the alarming signs are. And then if you look at the table, if patient had high ferritin LDH, that would be just enough to to predict impending MAS. Also, AST and triglyceride, um, like triglyceride levels had um, a fairly high, predictive value and they were included in this uh, scoring system. So again, in fact, emphasizes on importance of early diagnosis and treatment of MAS. And then now that we, we know more about the uh, disease um, pathophysiology and the cytokine and laboratory profile, we can use those tools to, to, to predict who, who is the patient at risk and treat them better and more aggressively to improve their outcomes. So that will probably bring us to the next abstract that also is a very interesting study and innovative in a way, uh, studying CCL2 and CCR2 in adults-onset stills patients. Uh, You can go to the next slide here. So first, we'll start with what CCL2. It's the chemokine C-ligane 2 and chemokine c uh, receptor 2, which are believed to be chemokines uh, chemokine that migrate monocytes and macrophages to the area of inflammation. So theoretically, they are not specific. They could be seen in any inflammatory condition that presents with um, a high innate immune system response that drives um, innate immune cells to the area of inflammation. What authors did, they, they tried to study the levels of CCL2 and CCR2 in patients with Still's disease, which is driven mostly predominantly by the innate immune system in rheumatoid arthritis which is believed to be an autoimmune disease where the adaptive immune system is playing a more important role but there is still a component of innate system involvement and in healthy controls of course that don't have any signs of the disease what they did find is that levels of ccr2 were highly elevated in still patients as opposed to healthy controls or rheumatoid arthritis which makes a lot of sense theoretically this is the condition is driven by the innate immune system and uh, unfortunately it did not really correlate um uh, well with the clinical manifestations or clinical markers of disease activity in stells as well as it wasn't statistically significantly different uh, between RA and stills, mostly because uh, a large gap between individual presentation and uh, symptomatology of the patients. What was interesting, though, when you look at the stills patients per se, the levels of the CCL2 were significantly higher in patients with active stills as opposed to patients with inactive stills disease. So you see the bright blue and light blue bars on the left. And also what uh, authors recognize is once the flare of cell disease resolved and patients went from active to um, uh, remission, um, the the, the levels of ccl 2 CCR2 dropped. So while it might not be a good diagnostic marker, it might not uh, differentiate cells well from other conditions, when it comes to reflecting inflammation or inflammatory response in, in AOSD patients, between the active uh, flare state and remission, that may be actually a quite useful tool. And that really just like another great uh, abstract that summarizes how how important it is to have tools to diagnose and treat stills. So overall, I think all those abstracts we just discussed speak a lot about early diagnosis, effective early treatment and the tools that can be used for that. Uh, and as you, you see, while we still are having a huge unmet need with a rec- with, with the diagnostic tools, it is getting better. And we have more and more laboratory parameters we can use and more and more uh, chemokines or cytokines we can measure. And hopefully it will result in better diagnostic tools
1: and, of course, improve our
0: treatment approach.
1: Sure. And I think I would add that, um, you know, not only... Um, diagnostic tools but you know calling the right specialty at the right time Uh, I think sometimes the rheumatologists are called in pretty late um, because you know there's something else going on or they're not thought of this diagnosis so just getting the ICUs and um, getting some of the hospitalists all of those um, people a little more attuned to what to look for what to send out simple things like fibrinogen LDH uh, those sort of things also go a long way. Um, you know, the, the, the poster that you presented uh, on the on implementing strategies to get them early diagnosis, I think that's the key. Uh, you know, these are patients who are sick uh, and, you know, there's a high mortality, as you said. Yeah, I couldn't agree more
0: with you. And as we see in that particular abstract on a, on a guideline implementation, mortality rate improved significantly, hospitalization uh, rates decreased and the hospital stay and outcomes improved. So that reflects in, in better long-term outcomes and um, and just like more effective
1: way of treating patients. True. And and again, this is a rare disease. So not this is not going to be always on people's minds. So you need to keep reiterating that to the colleagues saying this is something that needs referral. This is something that needs to be caught early. Um, Actually now um Olga, I'm just getting some questions here. Um, so the first question here is how would you uh, how how would the new biomarkers in MAS and secondary HLH be useful and feasible in clinical practice?
0: So a lot of them are still not available commercially, but there are some that you could use. For example, measuring LDH or triglycerides in your follow-up patients who are having active stills is quite useful and you can easily do it in your practice or uh, when you do the comprehensive metabolic panel, you already have AST, ALT included there. So those like simple laboratory parameters can be used. And um, what I do in my practice, I just add them to my algorithm when I, when I place orders for my stills patients. I see if somebody has active disease, I probably would include those markers, LDH, triglycerides, AST uh, in, into my uh, blood work. When it comes to more esoteric markers that are still under investigation, we wish we have them available soon, but I think there is still work to be done to prove their uh, like validity and their, uh, their usefulness in diagnosing and treating patients. So like when it comes uh, to the CCL uh, CC2 markers, uh, CCR2 markers, when it comes to the nocturine markers or any other uh, markers under
1: investigation, we still to see how useful they are. True. One thing I'd add is that the IL 18, um, you know, it is available with certain cytokine panels that you can send out. Uh, but if it's a sick patient, especially in the hospital or something, you want to go with the clinical stuff. Uh, you want to go with the traditional lab uh, markers, which come back soon. Um, uh, but the IL 18 does come back in a week or so. So uh, this time, sometimes you can send it with cytokine panels. Um, I think neopterin is getting much, much more popular. I don't know when it will be commercially available, but uh, I'm sure there'll be labs looking out for that. Yeah,
0: I think we have another question. What sure. is the significance of the finding of elevated CCL2 in patients with AOSD? So what that uh, abstract we just discussed tells us is that the levels are particularly elevated in patients with active disease as opposed to those that are in remission. So potentially it could be a good marker to diagnose active flare, but again, I think more studies are required to con- confirm it, to validate it against other disease activity markers, a- and uh, investigate um, like usefulness of-, of this clinically going forward. So in my opinion, it would be a good mark. It wouldn't be probably best diagnostic
1: marker, but this is activity marker most likely. Okay, okay. Um, I, I agree because those things are still under uh, investigation. So we need to we need to watch out and see how what the next few years show us in this direction. Um, and the last question I see here is how would MAS Risk for Score be useful in clinical practice? Okay, so that's,
0: yeah, that's the abstract we spoke about earlier. I think it would, can potentially be very useful in clinical practice. Um, as I just mentioned before, all those laboratory parameters are very easy to measure. They're easily available. They can be done within one day. And especially if patient is inpatient, they can be done within 12 hours. So if you, if you have somebody who is presenting with, again, active inflammatory symptoms and still disease, or a patient who's admitted to the hospital with a flare stills, and you're not sure about what the risk of progression into MAS is, you can you can just send, let's say, ferritin, triglycerides, and uh, LDH levels, and then that that by itself is already going to give you a score if, if it's elevated.
1: True, and some of these measures like LDH are also in typical sepsis screens that hospitals use, so it's just adding one or two more things to it. Um, And again, if you can uh, implement this in typical sort of high-risk settings, uh, like the ICUs or like the EDs, I think it's gonna make a huge difference. Absolutely.
0: I think we came uh, to the end of this presentation. It was a great experience discussing these issues. Uh, I think it would be great whoever participated in this uh, discussion, you can go ahead and scan the QR code and it will take you to a short survey about this uh, group presentation. All right, and I thank Thank you you, all for partaking and enjoy the rest of the meeting. This program was sponsored by Novartis Medical Affairs. If you missed any part of this discussion, visit reachmd.com slash ACR-2020. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.